0: Hello and welcome to Real Talk about Real Identity from Axiom. This podcast is devoted to important identity trends and the convergence of ad tech and martech. I'm Kyle Holloway, your podcast host, and I'm joined by our co-host, Dustin Rainey.
1: Welcome to our visitors and thank you for tuning in for another episode of Real Talk about Real Identity, where we like to focus on the role of identity in this exciting new world where martech and ad tech are colliding. Uh, For those that don't know me, my name is Dustin Rainey. I'm your co-host here with Kyle Holloway. So read any advertising and marketing technology publication, and you'll quickly realize that customer data privacy is on the forefront of everyone's minds. If you work in the data-driven marketing industry and privacy isn't something you're thinking about every day, regulators and industry pundits are ready to either remind you or make you aware how serious they are about driving change in data privacy, security, and transparency practices. One of the headline articles in AdAge this morning, as a matter of fact, was about a very large mobile analytics company being sued by the FTC, alleging the company selling very sensitive and personal location data. We've already seen the industry crack down on browser and app-based fingerprinting techniques that made use of non-consented identifiers like cookies and IP addresses for tracking an individual's behavior across the open internet. Companies like Apple have already taken drastic measures by either fully deprecating or obfuscating those non-transparent IDs on their devices and within their ecosystem, a.k.a. Wall garden. Google's announcement to push cookie deprecation to 2024 brought a brief sigh of relief uh, from many advertisers, publishers, and tech providers. Uh, that are dependent on their ecosystem but the writing's already on the wall and the industry's already in this serious reaction mode the entire currency and infrastructure by which customers are engaged is being disrupted the great thing about disruption though is that it often brings innovation and one of the innovation innovative solutions that's showing up a lot and are showing a lot of promise is the data clean room a secure digital environment To safely assemble marketing insights, brands need to optimize their marketing and advertising campaigns and to better understand how to engage their customers. And today we're super excited to welcome Devin de Blasio, global growth and product marketing leader, podcast co-host and data privacy evangelist at InfoSum. So Devin, glad to have you here. I know you and I actually got a, had a great chance in Spain at ICOM to, to get to know each other a little bit more and talk about some of these great topics. So glad to, to have you on with our listeners. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on your role today and um, at Infosome?
2: Yeah, sure. And thanks. Just want to start off by saying thanks to Axiom and both Kyle and Dustin for having you on the show. It's been a minute since I've been on the side of the uh, podcasting microphone. So really happy to be here speaking with you about a very important topic, both to me professionally, but me as an individual, as a father and just a general consumer in the ecosystem of advertising and technology. I started my journey many, many, many years ago, working for an ad server uh, called Point Roll back in the day. Then it became Seismic. Then it became, I believe, Amazon. And I think now it's something else. So learning kind of how the internet worked from the inside out, not really being a tech guy from ground zero, I actually have a background in music and business and, and kind of stumbled into the advertising marketing technology world, which talking to many people, that seems to be the, a common journey that many of us have, have taken and quickly learn kind of how the internet worked, how the advertising that we see on our screens and our devices was actually populated and how it actually came to be and actually what the decision factors were made in terms of what ad I saw versus what my friends saw or my wife or my parents saw. And then from there, jumped even further down the media and, and data rabbit hole, working for Newstar running their product marketing organization, focusing on identity, focusing on how we're resolving identity, how we're using identity to power advertising and marketing effectively and efficiently, but also, again, further down the rabbit hole of identifying what actually is happening behind the scenes, how the proverbial data sausage is being made how it's being managed and how essentially is turning into the ads that we see. And, you know, potentially a lot of these other issues that, we're, that we've started to see over the, the years, programmatic advertising and other kind of nefarious ways in which ads are essentially using our information to drive information in front of our screens and our eyes. And so I worked at uh, Newstar for about seven or so years. It's a trans-union company. I'll make sure I want to say trans-union in that as well. And then it decided to look to where else could I spe- spend my time and my expertise and my knowledge to do a little bit more good inside the four walls of marketing and advertising. And so I decided to work for InfoSum. And InfoSum, for those of you who are not aware, is a data collaboration and clean room technology and infrastructure. And the goal for us is to safely allow organizations to use the intelligence they've collected and harnessed from their consented consumers uh, to drive better experiences, to drive better analytics and drive better performance without actually sharing, leaking, exposing any information whatsoever, ever in eliminating the movement of data across the ad tech ecosystem. So really kind of gone on a very unique journey from a new person in the ecosystem, learning about identity, and now essentially figuring out how to protect identity day in and day out. So uh, happy to be here.
0: Yeah, Devin, great, love hearing your background and in today's ecosystem, folks like you are so important, you know, that have taken an opportunity to kind of see a larger swath of the ecosystem and kind of how that's interrelated because the fact is it's there's a myriad of capabilities at play and so that's awesome that, that you've had a chance to kind of deep dive in different segments there. Just playing off of what you were just talking about in particular, where you've ended up here at InfoSum and talking about clean rooms. Clean rooms in and of themselves within the industry is kind of a generic term. You know, I mean, you hear it a lot, but it's not really clearly defined. And then you hear things like InfoSum. Are they synonymous? Is it uh, just a, a byproduct or a type of platform Related to InfoSum,
2: I mean, give our listeners some context there. Yeah, great, great question. And, you know, we're still working through the, the the clarification and the taxonomies behind data clean rooms. And so if some born out of Europe, born out of GDPR, and really born out of a company called DataSift, uh, we essentially keyed the term data collaboration about seven or so years ago, being able to identify the ways in which you could run really complex computational actions and use cases across connected data sets that you did not have ownership or control over. And so we, we kind of started that journey many, many years ago in the greater Europe region, working in the limitations of GDPR, figuring out ways for organizations to still use the, the intelligence that they and their partners have been able to harness across them being a B2C organization, working with their customers and consumers. And so we are a data collaboration platform for a very, very, very long time. And still in Europe, more broadly, we are seen as a data collaboration platform, less so a data clean room. Data clean room really, I think, started to be popular in the United States. And just like any other other acronym or technology term in the U.S., more so than any other region, from what I've found, needs to latch on to something, needs a specific terminology to create some level of understanding around, which is fine. And so we we started to don the data cleanroom nomenclature and started to help working with the IB Tech Lab, working with MMA, ANA, all of these other industry organizations to figure out better ways to define the standards and practices of data cleanroom. So I would say that InfoSum is synonymous with data collaboration, uh, with privacy protection protection. protection and data security. We take both of those things very, very seriously and treat them very separately between privacy and data security. And I would say that we are one of the founders of the clean protected data ecosystem and are really working hard to make sure that other actors coming into this space are using the right technology, using the right processes when they make the claim of being a data clean room and working very hard to make sure those standards stick and make sure that organizations who are investing their time, energy and dollars into. To this new and very powerful technology, they're investing in the right thing, and they're getting essentially the guarantee of non of data or protection, end-to-end privacy, and complete data security. Because you can't really mess with privacy. I like to say that a lot. I use a different expletive uh, when I when I say that. But we are very, very serious about the protection and privacy of consumers and the data and the businesses that are responsible for that data. And so I would say we're synonymous with all of those things. But we really need to drive the the industry forward to understand a better definition and standards for the cleaner industry.
1: Thanks for mentioning that about, you know, how you kind of grew up in Europe really as a company and it's got to play to your advantage to a degree to to have to meet business needs inside of GDPR in a much more regulated environment and then, you know, before really bringing that to like the U.S. and offering, you know, the same kind of capabilities. When you know, U.S. is kind of playing catch up. There, are you starting to see the same kind of adoption here that you saw in Europe before? And what, what are the trends that you're seeing there?
2: Well we're seeing adoption at individual organization by organization basis. And so because there is not a federal or national privacy law like there is, you know, more broadly in Europe with GDPR, it's not as great of a forcing function. And because in Europe, I feel like they did not develop the same types of programmatic and automated practices we did in the United States because GDPR has been around for quite some time. And programmatic, I think, caught on really, really quickly in America and grew really quickly. Outside of America, I feel like it wasn't as fast uh, ramp-up period. And so there wasn't enough time for other regions where privacy is more prevalent to have some of these baked-in processes, baked-in expectations uh, to kind of weed through and work your way through to kind of break the mold. And that's kind of what we're seeing in America. is really breaking the mold of the traditional way or the known and agreed-upon way to buy and sell media, to use information about consumers to deliver some level of of an experience or expected perceived advertisement for me as as a customer or anyone else. And so in Europe, yeah, it's been great for us in terms of an accelerator, as an expectation to have uh, this non mutative data or not having to sign a a data sharing agreement. That's very, very prevalent there. In America, we're starting to catch on. I would say really this year, we started to see the terminology of data clean room, the in data collaboration really start early in the year. And we're starting to see a lot more RFIs come through, you know, over the fence. We're seeing a lot more agencies and analysts and consultancy organizations who are responsible for driving education within their enterprise-level advertisers and publisher organizations to learn more about data clean rooms and data collaboration. So we're starting to see a catch-on more greatly. We're seeing very large organizations announce that they have built the clean room initiative or built a privacy-first data strategy. In House. And so it's been great, but we have not yet seen the use cases run at scale, which is what we're starting to see very, very slowly in America. And so people have maybe signed up for a data clean room or testing multiple data clean rooms, which is fantastic. We recommend you testing multiple solutions now before it's too late down the road. But they're not using it at scale. They're not really testing the waters, they're not really, you know, smashing the keyboard to really figure out what the limitations of some of these solutions are. You know, and that's what we are hoping to see over the next. 18 months or so, specifically in the U.S., as what we've seen in greater Europe.
0: Uh, Yeah. Do you want to just kind of geek out for a minute, you know, with all of the uh, technology changes and impacts that are going on with movement out of on-premise, more into the cloud and um, just a lot of the different aspects of what clean rooms could and may entail? Talk to us a little bit specifically around InfoSum, you know, what does your tech stack look like and where does it fit within the broader ecosystem?
2: Great question. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're agnostic, right, in terms of data, in terms of identity, in terms of cloud infrastructure. And so our goal is essentially and what we're doing today is that we can work with your data where it lives. So if your data is in AWS, if it's in GCS, if it's in Azure, if it's in IBM, um, your data can remain there. And essentially what happens is we have the ability to have a data streaming process. So we can stream your data in uh, into a file management stack, right? So it's a UI of your data. And what you have to do in order to get your data ready for those the listeners who don't really understand the process is that you have a bunch of data living in different silos in different different places. You may have a CDP that's helping organize that. You may have another identity player that's helping organize that or doing kind of everything internally or with an agency. But the goal is that you need to get your data to a point where it's in a file, you know, whatever file that may be. And you essentially want to use that file to collaborate. So this set of data for these set of customers, I want to make sure that I'm connecting it to if I'm a brand to this particular set of publisher's data sets so we can run intersections, intersection so we can identify which of our customers we share and then we can explore the attributes and behavioral characteristics so we can work together to devise some level of strategic campaign right for targeting for measurement whatever and so in order to get to that point you have to do a lot of pre-processing you have to do a lot of normalization and we handle all of that right so we have a transformation engine that can stitch the data together manipulate it in a way that it gets to a point where it's exactly what you need for for collaboration. We have a normalization process, a global schema that we use so that every data set that resides within our platform or is used within our platform that resides within the organization's own infrastructure can be connected immediately, right? There's no kind of back and forth connections that you have to do or conversations you have to do to get the data to the right place where it's matchable. It's immediately matchable within our platform. And then we use what we call bunkers. So bunkers is a secure environment that houses only the mathematical representation of the data. And it gets really in the weeds if you want to go down that road. But essentially what we do is we take all of the PII, all of the keys, we encrypt it, we remove all the actual identifiers themselves, a completely pseudonymous view of that data set. All the attributes remain intact because that's what you want to see in terms of the characteristics of those individuals or households. But none of the actual keys, none of the under, the identifying information is is ever available or ever seeable. And what we do is that every data set, that every partner that has a data set that wants to collaborate, they have their data in a bunker. And then you say, hey, I want a permission, I want to send... In- a permission request to your data set so we can work together great you grant the permissions and then you can do a match and you can have four five six ten different parties working together all in their own bunkered environment essentially working together all permissioned and essentially you can generate a match the match happens instantaneously you just essentially drag and drop which data sets you want to collaborate with you get a match rate of what the overlap of your customer base looks like you can explore the attributes and behavioral characteristics of that overlap if you need to expand that overlap with an identity partner, like an Axiom or someone else, you bring the identity partner in. If you don't have a common key, they create the common key or they expand the match rate, increasing the match rates. You one an enrichment partner inside of that environment. You can bring another data partner, secondary data partner into the party, and they can essentially add additional characteristics about those consumers. And then you essentially build your audience can build your audience on our platform we have audience building capabilities like similar to other organizational processes and platforms out there build your audi- audience build your segments activate those and then same thing happens for measurement working with measurement partners ad servers dsps ssps same process everyone's got bunker data pulling the data in just connecting the data together without sharing the data generating some level of an analysis with incremental reach, overlap, frequency, attribution, and then everyone can essentially extract the insights without actually sharing any of the underlying data set. And through all of that process, there's differential privacy applied, there's you know noise, redaction, rounding applied, federated learning applied, all the cool secret sauce stuff that allows you to do all of this without actually ever exposing the underlying data set itself. And that's what you call geeking out on data. <laughs> yeah, we I mean, can it happen I mean, it is- to dig into those specifically, right? So there's like, you know, there's the encryption process, there's a the streaming process, there's the data, you know, the, the sketch that we're creating of the data set, there's differential privacy, there's multiple layers of our privacy tech that we're using to protect the data over and over and over again. A lot of those have patents associated with them as well. So we can go into info, some specific, you know, nerdy secret sauce stuff, um, or we can talk more broadly about kind of what characteristics clean rooms can kind of operate in, you know, holistically, happy to go either way.
1: Honestly, Devin, I think the way I would like to see this kind of go, maybe a slight right turn into use case. So you mentioned several use cases. Your conversation just now talked about overlay analysis across multiple parties. You talked about activation. You talked about attribution and measurement. One area that the entire industry is kind of like scrambling to figure out when cookies go away. And then clean rooms kind of inserting itself into this use case in a unique way. The question that we often hear and I actually... Have myself is like the monetization part of that. How does it work? Who gets charged between an advertiser and a publisher? How are you seeing these contracts happen in place of like a typical bid stream, you know, transaction when you're activating data? So, can you give our listeners some insight there on, on how you see that happening?
2: Yeah, like I said before, in terms of being agnostic, so we don't have media, we don't have identity, right? We have to bring those parties into the process. And so, when let's 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 make it easy. Let's talk about it like a let's say a four party engagement, right? You have a brand, you have a publisher, you have an identity partner, and you have, you know, some sort of a data partner, right, that's there for enrichment, that can either be the identity partner or or standalone. And so what happens is usually, you know, the brand wants to identify audiences within the overlap of of shared customers with the publisher, right? They want to make sure they're getting the right information in front of the right users at the right time, right? The, The classic, you know, you know, right ad, right time, right place, right person, all that stuff. And so what they do is they generate each party has their data in a bunker, like I said earlier, and they generate the intersection. Throughout this process, no at least with InfoSum, no party's paying for any of the computational costs required to, you know, to do any of the, the heavy lifting of the processing or, or, the, or the intersections or any of that. And so what happens is you essentially have the brand leading the charge. They're in there. They're, they're essentially, you know, either writing their own scripts or they're using our UI to generate the, the overlap. Building their audience, enriching that with an identity partner to make sure there's a common key. You know, maybe the brand has only email addresses and the publisher only has phone numbers. The identity partner comes in, builds that bridge. They can make a match. Great, we have uh, audiences in there being enriched by a you know, second party data partner. And then what happens is an audience is created and the audience is then pushed directly either directly to the publisher if they have their own buying environment, or it's put into the seat of either the SSP or the DSP depending on the relationship between the publisher and the brand and how the brand wants to buy or bid that request. And Infosum's not taking any dollars and cents from anyone involved in that process. What would happen is we have multiple or, you know, multiple party agreements where the identity partner essentially gets paid by the brand using the identity graph outside of our platform. Second party data partner also gets essentially paid by the brand or the publisher, depending on the relationship outside of our platform that's happened in a separate commercial agreement. And really, you know, we've just facilitate the connectivity, the insights and the activation pipes. And then the brand and the publisher essentially, they would go through the normal supply stream processes to generate the bid, make the bid request, and if they win the bid, they would essentially pay the bidder, and that would be routed then to the publisher like it would normally in any other practice. The beauty in what we're seeing in our platform is that we're seeing a lot less of the programmatic ecosystem come into play because that's still difficult in terms of all the different parties involved and making sure you're, you're having a clean execution and a clean ad being served without a lot of other parties' hands and. In the pie. And so we're seeing a lot of direct publisher to brand relationships where the brand is buying directly with the publisher. The dollars and cents are going right to the publisher. The publisher can essentially offer up a higher value inventory set that's either built custom for that brand, which means that would have a higher CPM. Most likely they can, they can fix a higher dollar figure because it has greater interest to that particular brand. And the brand essentially is going to get higher ROAS and ROI out of that because it's made custom for their customers, custom for their specific users are trying to get in front of. And we see that that commercial agreement really kind of happened directly between the brand and the publisher, kind of a callback to the old school days of just calling up someone on the phone, saying, hey, I want to make a placement on your newspaper and let's let's get it going. Here's my dollars and cents directly to you. I want this ad specifically on this time or day. It's similar now where we're actually having those brands and publishers actually interface with each other. Less people are getting involved in between that process, which means more dollars and cents are going to the publisher and more value is coming back to the advertiser. And it should be cheaper for the advertiser at the end of the day as well.
0: So are you seeing a particular profile around the publishers like what types of publishers are coming on board and you know what's the adoption of that? That's a great question.
2: Yeah, so publishers you have good amount of first-party data, right? We're talking about first-party deterministic matches. In most cases here, we can do probabilistic matches as well. We can talk about that or table that for another discussion. But most likely, it's going to be a publisher that has a good amount of first-party data that they can match with the advertiser's first-party data. Uh, and so, typically, we're seeing a lot of CTV publishers. We're seeing streaming audio. We're seeing gaming as a very, very uh, large piece of the pie there. And retail media networks, but also any blank media network that you're seeing, right? Entertainment media media networks, travel media networks, these organizations that are essentially trying to build their own ecosystem to compete with the larger walled gardens that are out there. They've gone down that road thus far because they knew that cookies eventually were going to be completely decimated. We thought, you know, next year, whatever, we don't have to touch that elephant in the room. But they have started to gone down the path and they're just continuing to chug along in terms of, hey, I have first party data about my subscribers, about my customers. I want to be able to monetize that safely and securely with full control, with full visibility visibility and transparency. So I can allow an advertiser to work with me. I can build a custom set of my inventory that matches their specific set of users, but I can also identify other partners, whether it's in another space or so like a retail media network working with a CTV or an MVPD organization and essentially allowing uh, inventory to flow through those lines of site as well. So we're starting to see that effect really catch on in terms of the ecosystem, but also broadcasters. ITV and Channel 4 in the UK uh, have been one of our biggest sets of clients in terms of their ability to say, hey, I don't want to work with advertisers anymore who have first-party data unless you use InfoSummers as the data collaboration platform. I don't want to touch your data. You have to go through this you know, neutral intermediary. You essentially bunker your data, we bunker our data. Then the advertiser has complete control over how their data is managed, how the data is permissioned, and they can work with our, with our set of really robust audiences across our inventory. And then we can build custom audiences for them. So they've built their own products around our service to facilitate really, really great engagement, really powerful ads that can be served across their broadcast and streaming networks with full control over the privacy and security of the data set. So that's been another huge area of value and growth for us over the past few years.
1: Devin, one of the areas that Axiom and InfoSum were strategically kind of coming in together and coming up with some kind of innovative new ways of addressing some of these problems, especially as it relates to reach, you get rid of the the elephant in the room, the cookie defecation and all that. Shortly. Well, you got to replace that with something. Right. So we have some exciting announcements that are going to be kind of hitting the press uh, before too long around match multiplier, our ability to augment that match between the advertiser and the publisher, or maybe two advertisers doing an overlay analysis or, or anything like that. Do you see this type of capability really being a key part of InfoSum's future value prop? Like, are you guys building out like an app marketplace? What, what does that look like? And if you don't mind, just talk a little bit more about kind of the, the middle layer, that the, the augmentation layer.
2: I'd love to. Yeah, it's, it's a hugely important component of what we do. Again, like I said, we, we don't have the data. We don't have the media. We're purely the infrastructure and the privacy enhancing technology. And so we have to rely on, you know, a very, very strategic partnerships like us with Axiom and Again, I don't know when this podcast goes live, but maybe it'll be after the announcement or before the announcement. But we have something very exciting on the horizon that we're essentially pushing out into the ecosystem that any essentially organization that currently is working with InfoSum or wants to work with InfoSum now will have access to the the great identity and and, uh, expansion solutions that Axioms and others have to offer. And it's extremely crucial because many organizations have first party data great but they don't have every single key attached to those individuals and nor should they Right? They collect the information they need to do what they need to do to, to drive experiences and positive experiences for their customers and consumers. And we can rely on bring other parties to the table to help them extend the value of that data. So identity partners like Axiom does a great job in terms of saying, hey, we can essentially safely give you the keys that will allow you to essentially create a bridge and a match with this other party, whether it's brand to brand, brand to publisher, multitude of those that can be involved, just so you can actually have a conversation. It's almost providing a Rosetta Stone for identity inside of the InfoSum walls, allowing these different organizations to speak the same language. Once they're speaking the same language, they can strategically drive some level of value for themselves as well as for the customers and consumers at the end of the day. And so it's extremely impactful and important for us to have that middle layer, the strategic partner and channel partnerships sitting within our platform. So identity partners, measurement partners, you know, data partners, all sitting there ready to go and ready and willing to provide value to to those organizations who want to be able to work more seamlessly together. And we wanted to make it function very similar to how they're used to today. So every organization has their own bespoke data stack with multitude of three-letter acronyms that they've essentially invested in over time. A lot of those won't be valid once You know, addressability is no longer viable because the cookie went away, where privacy legislation has become to a point where you just aren't willing to share that data. And so we're building a net new ecosystem, right, a non-sharing, a non-movement of data ecosystem on the backs of, of Axiom and other identity partners and other data partners and measurement partners, all sitting within our platform. And now, with the launch of Platform Sigma that we just announced in late July, we're making it even easier and more fluid for organizations like Axiom to build on top of our infrastructure, to build on top of our APIs. And that allows for apps to be built inside of our app library using our app exchange. so developers can get their hands dirty, quote unquote, in a clean room. I don't know how you want to slice and dice that statement. But (laughs) what we're saying is that developers can have greater access and greater control and flexibility over how they're building applications inside our framework, inside the clean room. So if an organization wants to build an app specifically for them and their partners, they can go ahead and do that. Axiom can go ahead and build an application in our platform that's available to everyone or only a certain set of users that allows our partners to monetize their services and solutions inside of our platform in a safe and controlled way, but also other organizations to integrate clean room technology and data collaboration technology more fluidly across their tech stack so they can easily start using private enhancing technology without feeling like they're missing something, or they have to relinquish something, or they're going to miss a, a gap in their tech stack. And so that's kind of what we've done with Sigma opening up our platform, allowing organizations to build on top of it. And hopefully, you know, Axiom over the next you know coming months is able to build really cool stuff for their clients and our shared clients uh, within the platform itself.
0: You know, what I'm hearing is it's the aspect of bringing the app to the data yeah. versus bringing the data to the 100%. app, right? So you guys are enabling a platform where brands can maintain the security and and the control of their data, but then have apps available that can leverage that data and execute in these uh, collaborative fashion. So it's really cool. I like that net new ecosystem kind of description
2: there. And agencies are a huge part of it as well, right? And I think agencies have really started to join the fight in terms of, hey, we know we need to be we have to be the bastions of good, the bastions of privacy centricity. And we're seeing a lot of agencies, ones that have their own identity spines, ones that have their own ecosystems, also be build on top of our platform, because a lot of times the brand and the publishers aren't doing the work themselves. They're relying on a trusted intermediary or a trusted partner, like an app, like an agency to do some of that work. So the more that we can build in a transparent manner of, Hey, this organization is building an application for you, but they're doing it within a neutral kind of agnostic, decentralized platform, like a clean room, you know, it's safe and secure. You know, you can use it with confidence versus the old ways of doing things where things were murky and not transparent. And maybe they were building things that necessarily... An organization wasn't totally aware of. Well, Devin, it's been an amazing podcast. Can't believe you know we're already hitting the the thirty
1: minute mark here. Uh, time flies uh, when you're having fun. And one, it's always great to have a, another comrade in the, the kind of rebel <laughs> alliance. As Kyle, Kyle like to, <laughs> to talk about it on data for good and just to do the right thing right? Yes. We're, we're in a, a very important place inside the, the context of, of data-driven marketing and, and identity. Yeah. So it's always good to talk to people who take that very seriously, like yourself. Yeah. Uh, we do like to wrap up with a, a standard question. Loved your intro and love are going to love to hear your response here. It's like, it's the year 2035. What does consumer engagement look like? Do you see a scarier Orwellian type future or do you see brighter days ahead?
2: that is a great question. I wish I had a canned answer that I could just pull, pull out. But, uh, Oh, man, I want to hope that it's 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 a more consented environment, right? So there's there's multiple types of consumers out there, the people who want the creepy experience because they don't see it to being creepy. They just want super engagement, super customized kind of experiences, and they're going to give all their data up, right, for that experience. And then there's your, the people who are like, hey, I have it, wear a tinfoil hat. I don't want you touching my data. I want no experience whatsoever. I'm going to use DuckDuckGo all the time, whatever you want to call it, right? And I think I'm hoping to see if there's a more tailored experience and there's there's a baseline offering for all types of consumers out there. I think the baseline today is that we're going to collect your data with a really out your consent. Yeah, we're going to send you some consent flags and there's certain information that you're going to be able to control how it's how it's collected and not. But I think it's still very opaque. It's still very it's not regulated at a a, a national or, you know, level. And so I'm hoping in 2035, each one of us has our own consent management platform baked into every single piece of technology that we own. We can control how our data essentially is monetized, that we get a slice of that information, hey, I don't want to pay for my cell phone bill anymore. As long as you collect the data and you can use that data any way which you want, I don't want to have to pay for cell service ever again. Stuff like that. I think, you know, zero party data is a little bit of a joke. I think there's a way for us to enhance what, what can be done in terms of giving consumers greater control. And I think advertising should reflect that. And I think that we should have a baseline like awareness campaign that can go out. Everyone can see it. Great. Fantastic. But there's areas in which a consumer can raise their hand and become more involved in how they're bespoking their experiences, similar to, I think, how gaming is going to kind of revolutionize the future of advertising. I think that's going to be the first area of where we're going to start to see customers and consumers be more in control of their ad experiences uh, day in and day out. But 2035s, that's a ways away, even though it's not really... Devin, uh, thank
1: you so much for joining us today. Uh, And for our listeners, you can find all of our Real Identity podcast episodes at axiom.com slash real talk. And you can also catch Devin hosting the InfoSum podcast, Identity Architects. The link is included in our show notes. So go out and take a look at that. Man, I I know that we received a lot from this today, Devin. I definitely want to have you back. Definitely. Uh, Thank you so much um, and look forward uh, to doing this again sometime soon.
2: Very, very honored to be here. Thank you so much for your time and uh, looking forward to see how this turns out. Thank you. All right, well, thanks everyone. We'll catch you next time.